0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcasts and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Let me bring you up to speed. Uh, if you were not here last week, we started a series, and the series was called The Sower. And uh, it's really just taken out of this parable that Jesus preached. And if you were not here last week, or if you have no idea what the parable is, um, I'm going to read it out for you in just a moment. So don't feel like it's going to be lost on you. We're going to go there. But I thought before I read it out, I'm going to explain a few things about this and what we learned last week. When we uh, started this series last week, we learned that God wants to sow seeds into our life. Now, it's not that he's a farmer. The seeds are good things that God wants to sow into our lives. What he really wants to sow is the words of the kingdom. We might call that the gospel. If you're in church for the first time and you say, I have no idea what that is, the gospel is good news. And this good news is that even though you are not perfect and And you know maybe you think that you are, but ask your friends you're not. And and so even though you're not perfect and you've made mistakes and you have this issue that we call sin, and you know if you are new, don't worry about that. We all have the same problem. The Bible says really clearly that all of us have made mistakes. You know, so even though you've made mistakes, Jesus will forgive you of the mistakes that you've made. Boy, you're just getting everything up front tonight, aren't you? You know, so so Jesus will forgive you. And He, the Bible says that the wages of de- of sin are death. Now, that's the penalty that everyone has to pay. But that's the whole point of why Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And if you believe that message, you believe it and you confess it. The Bible says, well, you will have a relationship with God and, and, and God will save you. So, so that's the good news. That's the gospel. And he wants to sow things into our lives. It goes beyond that message. God wants a life with you, it's not just about getting you to a place where you cross the line and, and you say the prayer, and that's it. That sounds very religious, but it's so much better than that because what God is looking for is a relationship with you. So, the Bible talks about this gospel like a seed, and you know, a seeds have potential, you know. So, if you have a seed, and in that seed, even though it's very small, it can actually grow into something significant, it could grow into something. You know, very big, but it's not going to do it until you plant it. So, what it grows into has a lot to do with where you plant it. Now, the seeds, right, that God wants to sow, they're good, they're always good. He wants to sow good things into your life, but depending on where it lands, depending on where it's planted, will determine whether it produces what it was intended to. I learned, and we all did last week, that we have problems that prevent our producing potential. And in the first week, we discovered that if you have a hard heart towards God, if you're offended with God, if God maybe has an answer to prayer that you thought that He should, or He didn't act in accordance with your plans, it's very easy to get offended with God. And if you're offended and you get a hard heart towards God, He might be trying to do things in your life, but you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because you're offended. And so what God's trying to do will never take root in your heart. That's what we learned last week. That was everything. That's all of last week. But tonight we're actually going to look at the second uh, way that people can stop following Jesus. You know, Because how many of us would realize that when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus and they invite him into their heart, that's a decision, that's an event, but did you know that the event is attached to a journey? Yeah? Yeah. yeah? There is a follow-up process that happens in your life. So it's not just about crossing that line on that first day. It's about living a life that honors the commitment that you made in that event. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Awesome. All right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, who brought a Bible to church today today? Just place your hand. No, no. I mean physical Bible. Come on. Yep. Holy, holy, holy. So anyway, anyway, if you don't, we have prepared one for you so that you don't have to feel alone. All right. Let me read to you out of Matthew chapter 13. It says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. he who has ears, let him hear. Now apparently nobody had ears because everyone's confused about what Jesus said. So he said, let me, let me break it down for you. And we get that a few verses later. Here's what it says in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, not on other stuff, but just on account of the word, on account of their relationship with Jesus, immediately he falls away. Um, I want to preach a message to you tonight called Tough Times. Tough Times. Um, Years ago, I got invited to go on my very first snowboarding experience. And at this point in my life, I um, had never gone before, and it sounded, it'll be fun, they said. It'll be fun, they said, okay? So I thought, sounds great, and I signed up, and I went with a a couple of friends. And I I was, I I mean, I'd seen pictures of people snowboarding, and, you know, sometimes things look easy in a picture, yeah? And I'd seen videos of people snowboarding, and I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, I can do this. I mean, how hard could it be? The chairlift carries you to the top of the mountain, and that's where you get off, and really from there, gravity just takes effect, right? And you just go down the mountain. So I went and I got to the top of the, uh, got off the ski lift and that was awkward. And, and then I and then I, you know, pointed the board down the hill. Gravity did take effect. And to my surprise, I went down without you know, hurting myself too much or whatever. And I didn't really know where I was going. But the guys that I went with were better than me. They'd gone before and they took me... To the bottom of this valley, okay? And I'm not trying to sound really spiritual here. This is literally where we were. The bottom of a valley, okay? I know that it sounds spiritual. I'm talking about mountaintops. Nothing to do with that, all right? When, this is a literal valley, okay? So I'm at the bottom of the valley, and I thought, well, how are we going to get out of here? And they have um, these things that you can catch uh, called a poma, all right? Now, if it's your first day, you want to avoid these at all costs, all right? Because... It's not like catching a ski lift. That's where you get to sit down. It just carries you all the way, right? What a pommer is, now if you're a skier, it's fine because you pretty much grab this thing. as, as It's carried on a cable that carries you all the way to the top of the mountain, but you've got to stay on the snow, in it, and it carries you. Now, if you're a skier, you point both skis forwards. And you just hold on. It's like it's easy. But if you're a snowboarder, you've got to take one foot out of your bindings, And you got to tuck that palma in behind your front knee and hold on, right? Now, if you've never gone snowboarding before, this is a skill that you need to master, okay? And I did not have this skill. So it began to carry me up the mountain, you know. I'm sliding all over the place, right? And I I reckon I got maybe, I don't know, like maybe 50 meters, and I came straight off. I was disappointed that I came off. I'm like... Why can't I just hold on? And so I was disappointed, but I said it's okay. It's okay. We'll just do it again. So I went back down the mountain, and uh, I, you know, caught the thing and went up again and slipped off, and and, and I repeated that process. I, I mean, over 20 times, easily, <laughs> easily, right? And um, it, and it's crazy frustrating. And I was, I mean, look, the, the snow and I and the pommo. We had words, you know, and and I was mad, and I was frustrated and it 's like i mean it 's not a smart idea to physically assault the snow, but i didn 't stop me so, so i 'm mad and, I'm frustrated and, and i 'm frustrated and I learned some things about myself on that day number one i don 't have patience, but number two i don 't quit either, and that is a recipe for disaster. Because I, I was getting mad quickly, but I refused to quit. So I, internally, there's a lot of bad things happening, okay? And eventually, I grabbed it. But I learned these things about myself, Right? Let me explain something to you. Tough times will introduce you to yourself. Yeah? yeah? Tough times introduce you to yourself. Like, you think you're a patient person until you find yourself in a situation that stretched you beyond where... You thought you could go, and that's when you start to get introduced to yourself and who you really are and what's happening on the inside. Have you ever um, wrongly forecasted your abilities? Who's decided that they just want to get fit? You know, January is the month where most people wrongly forecast their abilities. You know, and you say, uh, "I'm going to go for a run." It'll be fun, they said, and you go for a run, and then you're too far, you're so far that even if you turn back, like it's, it's a long way, and you're like, I thought that they said that this would be fun, like fitness was fun. it's not fun, okay, fun run, nothing's fun over 5Ks, so... So anyway, if you, if you get there and you're like, this is horrible, you don't have a lot of choice. you got to keep, if you've overestimated your ability, right, then you have to run back. <laughs> and I've done, this, I've done this before. Have you ever um, run back, but the run is actually slower than a walk? But as long as you maintain this kind of a look, it feels like you're running, but you're not running. People are actually power walking past you. Small children are overtaking you. But as long as your arms are bent at 90 degrees and they move like this, you feel like you're running. You're not running. It's not happening, right? This is what happens when people wrongly forecast their abilities. Do you know what I've discovered? Is that people can do the very same thing with their character. Wrongly forecast their character. I'm I'm patient. I can handle that. I'll be okay in this scenario and situation. Sometimes these things totally pop out and surprise us. You know, um, probably about six months ago, I think I must have been having a bad day at work. I work at the church. I'm a pastor, right? And because, by the way, I'm a pastor, I am supernaturally endowed with patience and kindness and goodness. It's in my position description, therefore, I must possess these qualities. So, so I left church this this afternoon. I was driving down, and this, um, I got to the end of, of the road here, and this guy, can you believe it? Just totally cut me off. Just cut me off. And because, you know, I'm endowed with patience and kindness, right? As he came past, I wanted to let him know, right? At least initially, that, that hey, it's cool, man. Like, we all make mistakes. So as he's driving by, I smile like, it's all right, man. And he looks at me. He cut me off. And he gives me the universal sign of disapproval. Now, at the time, I'm on the phone to somebody at this church, and I still can't remember who it was. And if that was you, I'm sorry. But as this person drove past, forgetting that I was completely on the phone but with no bad words, I very loudly, verbally showed my disapproval of his assessment of the situation through the glass. There might have been spit on the glass, I don't know. But I, I, I verbally explained to him how wrong he was and it just came out so quick, you know. So quick that it actually surprised me. I'm like, oh, that was, uh, well, that was in there, wasn't it, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have... Uh, We have things beneath the surface of our life, and we don't always know that they're there. And in this passage that Jesus is talking about, he says that the gospel gets sown into our lives. That's the seeds. That's the good stuff, right? But it depends on where it lands. I told you that. It's got to land in the good soil to produce what it was intended, and it was designed to produce, But when you've got stuff that's in there that's not right and you leave it there, it doesn't make for a good future. My wife and I, years ago, we built a house. And um, I, I mean, many of you are young adults, so you probably already understand that houses are expensive, you know. And so we built one. And when I went and looked at the house, if I had have gone off the inventory list and how, much, how many b- bricks we actually purchased, we should have been able to build a house that was roughly twice the size of the one that we did build. And I looked at it and I said, this is our house. Well, what did they do with all the other bricks, right? And, and because so many of the bricks, they break while they're making them, that's why they order extra. They just leave them in, your, in, in the garden, in the backyard, and sort of littered all around the house. Well, when we turned up, You know, after we bought the house, we didn't know that all that stuff was in there, and so I thought I'm going to mow this backyard, and I got out the, the the mower, and it was literally the first undocumented case of four wheel drive mowing. You know, and so the mower is bouncing around all over the place. I'm like, what's the problem? You know, the problem is there's there's stone, there's rocks, there's concrete, there's all this stuff beneath the surface that was left there, and it meant that later on it became a problem. When we first meet Jesus, I want to explain to you that all of us have this problem called sin. If you're new to church and you say, like you, you're not sure uh, uh, where you fit into the category of, of you know, how good you are. The Bible says that all of us have made mistakes, right? So we've all got that in common. And it's okay when we come to Jesus to come to him with all of the junk that's in our lives, with all of the stuff that's beneath the surface. But you're not supposed to leave it there. If, if, if you begin a life of Christianity, and when you begin you just try to add God to what's already there and have no intention of removing what's not supposed to be there, you're going to end up with the exact scenario that this parable is talking about. Because it's not that the seed isn't good and it's not that it wasn't planted. And it, The problem was there was stuff in the soil that was rocks in the soil that weren't addressed. You can't just add Jesus to your relationship, not address the sin, and think that everything is going to work out. That's not going to work for you. It's not going to unfold the way it was supposed to. certainly not going to produce what it was intended and designed to produce. I've met so many people, you know, that have made a decision to follow Jesus, but they've just allowed all that stuff to stay in their life. And I found it to be consistent. The people that make a commitment to Jesus but have no attempt to actually address the sin that's in their life and make no attempt to change what's going on inside of there, they always struggle with it because they're simply trying to add Jesus to the mess without addressing any of it. Just trying to add him in. Jesus is not an addition to your life. He's not this person that you just keep in your back pocket that comes in real handy on your death. Yeah. Where you could say, well, I said the prayer. And I crossed the line. And I've given my life to Jesus. But you make no changes. The Bible says bear fruit In accordance to your repentance, you know? So so you're supposed to make a decision with this point at your life to change the direction that you're going, address the stuff that's in there, and get rid of it so that as God is sowing good things into your life, they can start to produce what they're intended and designed to produce. If you just add Jesus into the stuff that you already worship, well, that's what Hindu people do. That's why it's so hard to reach Hindus with the gospel, because you tell them who Jesus is and they're like, great, we'll have him too. They literally have so many gods, it's incalculable. They, they don't even know how many gods exist. And you tell them about Jesus and they say, well, he sounds great. Let's add him to the list. Let's just graft him in there. And that's why they don't really get it. Because when you become a Christian, there's meant to be this thing called surrender. Surrender. There's meant to be this thing that you do where you lay down your life and start to follow Jesus and change your life and allow that transformation to happen. In fact, the passage that we read today, a few chapters later, it says that what you're supposed to do, if anyone would come after me, this is what Jesus said, his words, if anyone would come after me, let them first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Number one, deny yourself maybe some of the stuff that you want, maybe the stuff that you're addicted to, maybe the stuff that you've been worshipping in your past. Deny yourself that stuff. Don't go after that. That's leaving the the stones in the soil. That's leaving the stuff there that's not supposed to. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Realize that there's going to be some challenges when you do this. And now you're ready to start to follow him. How many of you have seen the um, series Mythbusters? You know, it's what they do is they take a... Uh, a concept or, or an idea or a thought that people think is true and maybe it's a scene from a movie but they just decide to like, play it out to see if things would really happen the way that it did on the movie. So they, they test things, you know, and then they bust these myths. Let me just, let me just bust a myth for you today. Um, when you follow Jesus, it is not some blissful, Frolic in the fields. This is how you frolic, by the way. It's not a frolic in the fields, right? And I did an average job. Let me try. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm sorry about those other. That was average. I wanted to give you the real thing, you know. So it's not some frolic in the field, and at the end of your life, you fall into the arms of Jesus, and you say, wow, that was so good. Man, that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what Christianity is about at all. In fact, you should understand something that, that if you have been taught or if you believe that if you follow Jesus, that your life is going to be easy. And the moment you do, sickness will never touch your life. And the moment that you do, that, that you will become prosperous and wealthy and strong and all the rest of it. If you have been taught that that's the gospel, that's what we call the health and wealth gospel, and it's a total lie. It's a total lie. It's not true. And if you believe that this is true, the moment you encounter the real thing, you'll end up disillusioned because you didn't understand what you were signing on to in the first place. What you need to know is tough times come, trials come, tribulation comes, the Bible says so. This is the kind of stuff that you're going to face in your life. And it makes sense too, because if you make a decision to follow Jesus, that means that you weren't following him in the beginning, at that point, you're just going with the tide. You're just drifting. And for the very first time when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you start to swim against the tide of the world. By the way, when you turn from the direction in which you were going and you turn to face Jesus, we have a a word for that. We call that repentance. Repentance. And it means to turn from the direction that you're going and start to go a new direction and and start to follow Jesus. And for the first time, you start to really push against the current. Of course, there's going to be stuff that comes against you. Of course, there's going to be challenging times that are ahead. And I just wanted to let you know, because if you think that following Jesus is going to be easy, you should know that the world will reject you. The Bible said that just for your association with Jesus, the world will reject you. But I've learned something about that rejection. Rejection reveals your resolution. Do you follow me today? When you start to encounter rejection, it reveals how resolute you are about your relationship with Jesus. That's when you get introduced to yourself that's when you might meet yourself for the first time. You forecasted your ability to endure persecution, but the moment that tough things come, you kind of step back, maybe closed your mouth, maybe didn't say anything about what you believe or who you follow. Man, trials come in all shapes and sizes. (laughs) Yesterday, I told my kids that they had to clean their room and empty the dishwasher. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. If you ask them, it was horrible, you know, it was terrible, and, 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 you know, in their limited perspective of how dark the world can get, they're like, this is so hard, right? (laughs) All right, so maybe the stuff that you deal with is a little bit more challenging, you know? Let me explain this to you. We are living in a world right now. And there is a war against Christian morals and ethics. And you're beginning to see this play out in our culture. And what happens is is that there are are companies that are adopting policies that are so anti-Christian. And if you disagree with them, you could find yourself easily sitting alone at the lunch table. Alienated because of your beliefs. They say that there's freedom of speech only for the left. Not for the right. Not for the stuff that we believe, and should you be brave enough to actually speak out about what you believe, you would be shunned. Even people are getting fired from their jobs simply because of the values that they hold to. The values that—I mean, the values that our our nation was really founded on. Yet we there is such a shift in this direction that if you decide to go against the tide and the current, the way things are currently going, you'll be ostracized for your association with Jesus and with His values. But should you be ever brave enough to put these things on social media, asterisks, don't ever do that. I mean, if you're looking for a wise, civilized debate, do not post what you believe on social media. You're going to find some keyboard warrior troll that's going to start to get at you. You'll never see them. You'll never meet them. They're just nasty people, right? Because you disagree with what they think and you'll be ostracized on social media just because of it and this this by the way is what we might call some form of persecution and so, you know, my kids, they have one worldview. In, the, in, the, in their limited perspective, in their limited scope, they say it's so difficult to clean our rooms and, and, and empty the dishwasher. You know, we're a little bit older. We encounter a lot more things than they do. We say, in our perspective, right, when you face uh, being ostracized at the lunch table and, you know, when, when people disagree with you, by the way, disagreement isn't actually persecution, but it can take you there, okay? And, and, and so we might say, oh, this is, a, this is persecution. Let me tell you something it's so much worse around the world. There is an organization by the name of Open Door. And they uh, are an organization that are devoted to to basically recording and finding statistical information and the support of the most persecuted Christians in the world. By the way, Christianity or Christian people are the most persecuted minority in the world right now and they are uh, killed for what they believe, they are murdered for what they believe, and this happens all the time. It'll never make the news, and you'll never see it, and you'll never hear about it, and so you might not even know that it exists, but I promise you it does. And they, they had a stat that I read uh, this week, and by the way, these guys are the most trusted organization on the planet when it comes to the persecution of Christians, and they said 215 million Christians have had to face intimidation, prison and death just for being associated with Jesus. That represents one out of 12 Christians on the planet have to go through that. And to be honest, I don't think it's going to get any easier. In some of my research, I I discovered this story about a a young girl from Uganda. Her name was Susan. And Susan um, was was a young girl from a Muslim family, She went to school one day, and there was an evangelist that came to her school and told them all about Jesus and the gospel, the message that I just told you up front at the start. This is revolutionary to people that have never heard anything like this, the forgiveness of sins, the grace of God. And so she heard that message, and that day she decided to give her life to Jesus. When she went home, her father had discovered and knew that she had made that commitment to follow Jesus So he grabbed her and her brother and dragged them outside into the street with no fear of any repercussions, and held a knife to her throat, and he said, "If you don't recant that statement, and if you choose to follow Jesus, I will kill you and I will kill your brother." And he said, "You've got a decision to make." And she refused to make the decision to leave Jesus. So the next day he took her and he put her in a room in their house and he put a mat on the ground and he made her sit down and he said, you are not allowed to leave this mat until you've made the decision to stop following Jesus. And with that and those words, that was it. He turned around and he walked out the door and nobody entered that room for the next 3 months. 3 months. She sat there on a mat and refused to give up her faith and her commitment to Jesus. And you hear that and you say, well that's impossible. Someone would die for that long that if you were left for that long with no food, no water, nothing. But her brother knew what was happening, so he actually dug a hole under the wall of the room that she was in and he would pour water in there and she would lap it up. And then when he could, he would take a banana and and try to fry up some banana and push it under the door uh, or under the wall of the room that she was in and she would take that fried banana and she would eat it. Nobody opened that door for three months and she did that because the day before, she made a commitment to follow Jesus. And she would not give him up. Well, the neighbors started to wonder what had happened to this girl, Susan. So they called the authorities and the authorities came and they went to the house and they opened the door and they found her. And where did they find her? Sitting on the mat that she was not allowed to leave. And she had been sitting there for so long that her bones had began to take the shape that she was sitting in. And even to this day, she can't walk properly because her bones began to shift and move because she refused to leave the mat. She weighed 20 kilos. And when people asked her, 20 kilos. And when people asked her, why didn't you just give him up? She said, how could I do that to my Jesus? This is a person that one day with limited information Made a decision to follow Jesus, but she was so resolute about the decision that she had made that she refused to ignore the fact that God was with her, and she refused to turn her back on Jesus. And so this this organization, Open Door, they look at the top fifty countries. Um, where where Christians face persecution. And they ranked them number one to number 50. By the way, in case you're wondering, Australia is nowhere near that list. So whatever you've been encountering, it is nothing compared to what happens to the Christians that live in the top 50 countries. And I thought, I wonder how they figure that out. How do they figure out how to rank them? And the way that they measure persecution is by pressure. And they look at the pressure that's applied to Christians in those nations in five specific areas. And from those five areas, the pressure in those five areas, they determine what the number one country is all the way down to the number 50 country. And, and this, by the way, this is the sun. This is the sun in the parable. This is the sun that scorches the seeds. It is the pressure that people face. What did Jesus say? He said, The seeds are sown and the seeds are good, but they go into soil that has rocks in it. And because the seal's not good, immediately the seed springs forth. And on the surface at the beginning, it looks like people are committed. It looks like they really believe in Jesus. It looks like they're committed. It looks like they're resolute until the sun rises. And when they begin to feel the pressure, the truth is revealed in that moment. And it would be a surprise to some people how quickly they would walk from Jesus should they encounter any of the pressure that they face. You see, the problem that prevents our producing potential in this story is pressure. The problem that prevents our producing potential in this part of the parable, it's pressure. But you know what I've learned about pressure? There's power in pressure. There is a power in the pressure that Christian people face. And I'm not making this up to encourage you. In fact, here's what John said. John said, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. If you invite Jesus into your life and you're a follower of him, then you can be in the same position that John was in. And he said, there is a power that's greater than me than the pressure that is coming against me. And what you need to learn to do is learn how to lean on the pressure, lean on the power of Jesus when you're undergoing some pressure. There is a power that's in you that's greater than the pressure that's outside. And you've got to learn how to Look to Jesus in the middle of that situation and in the middle of that circumstance so that you can find that power. Here's what Jesus said. He said, trials and tribulations will happen. They will come. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And those five words, I have overcome the world, are said to encourage you. He said, what he's really saying is, is that You're going to go through tough stuff as a Christian. You follow me just for being associated with me. The world will reject you. You will turn against the tide and the current of the culture that you're in. And there will be tough times ahead. But I want you to take heart because I have overcome the world. I have paid the penalty for sin. I've overcome the issues of the world. Please understand this. We are living in a day and an age, in a culture right now where there is a war on Christian ethics and values and you'll experience it in the workplace. You're going to experience it in your sporting clubs. You're going to experience in your friendship circles and some people will disassociate themselves from you just because you're with Him. And the goal of all of this just to threaten your future. To threaten your future. You disagree with the message of the world, with the current of the world, you disagree with that, your future will be threatened. You should know what awaits you. You could be sued for saying the kind of things that you're saying. People could not, they they might not be your friends, you'll be ostracized and all of this to shun you into silence. There's a threat over your future, and and, and the goal of all of this stuff, this war, is to keep you from speaking out. Let me ask you a question, because the threat of your future is supposed to put you in a place where you won't speak, but let me ask you this. How far are you looking into your future? How far are you actually looking into the future? You shouldn't be worried about the next five years of your life, because 200 years from now, it's not going to make a difference. See what I'm saying? The fear of the future is supposed to make you go silent. How far are you looking? Because a thousand years from now, you'll hope at this point you made the right decision to be associated with the one who can forgive you, with the one who paid the penalty on the cross for you. If you look 500,000 years into eternity, you'll wish that right now, You had the guts and weren't waving around like a reed in the wind. You'll hope that right now in this moment that the confession of your mouth was that I'm with him. And I don't care what you say. And you can threaten me and you can say all those things. But at the end of the day, I'm saying I'm with him. And when it comes to the horse you want to back, it's the one that was raised from the dead. It's the one who overcame the world. That's who we're supposed to be associated with, Paul says it this way, he says, I consider what I'm currently going through as light and momentary afflictions, for this is preparation for the eternal weight of glory that awaits me. I think Paul had his eyes so far into the future that he was less concerned about his presence. I want to watch a short video. Let's do that.
1: whole life that is not in the Christian life either. Every prayer gets answered, but it may lie dormant for I don't know how many years. And now I may pray for someone that God puts in my heart. I've never met that person. I may not know anything, maybe a name, maybe not. You plant in the spiritual field a seed your prayer, and it's coming out one day. It's going to bear fruit. The moment you hear a name, the moment you see something happen on, on television, uh, uh, victims, war. Reaction is always when something happens and you react. We should be ahead of that. There's no set rule this long you pray. pray As long as God urges you to pray, there's a burden on your heart, a thought, a dream. How is our prayer life? It eliminates all those easily occurring human problems and crises that we go through every day, because it makes you a different person, it lifts you to another level.
0: truth is that we are living in a world where there is a war that is happening to prevent people from being able to make the decision to not just follow Jesus but to stick with Him. And the reality is the persecution it happens across the planet. In this country, we see some things that we might consider to be persecution, but we don't rank in the top 50 countries that are encountering this in a far more severe and significant way. Now, I look at the nations that have this incredibly tough time ahead of them. I thought, how do they deal with it? How do they face it? And the video that I watched from open door. This video showed me that well, they just do what we do, don't they? They pray. Isn't it true what Jesus said that we should pray in the midst of persecution? How how do we fight against that wall? We pray. How, how do we come against the things that are happening? In the world today, well we pray, and I think the reason that they say the prayer, if you just understood the potential of the prayers that you pray, you would see the significant difference that it makes. You know why I think they say that? Because they understand that there is power in pressure, and that power is Jesus. It's Him in the middle of the, the pressure, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the tribulation, in the middle of the tough time, in the middle, whether you're a- around on the other side of the world and the threat for worshiping Jesus is death or whether you're here and the threat is, is that people will ostracize you. The thing is you do the same. It's, you know, we just pray. We pray to God. We pray to Jesus and we give him these things. And we say, God, I pray not just for my situation, But Jesus said that we should pray for those who persecute us. Wouldn't it be the ultimate revenge to take the person that's persecuting and to turn them into a person that's a passionate and devoted follower of Jesus? Wouldn't that be the ultimate? Wouldn't that that be the best revenge on the enemy is that we turn those people, that he has gripped their hearts and they, they end up giving their hearts and They end up giving their lives to Jesus. Is it possible? I don't know, ask the Apostle Paul. Here's a man on his way to arrest and put Christians in prison and he ends up writing most of the New Testament. Is it possible? Yeah, I think so. I think that God, once he gets a hold of people's heart, can totally transform them. So here's what we're going to do today